You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st Marie, ontario for its support booyah and it's time for the game sports show special this upload powered by the game entertainment and media gem short along with the game sports show.com we are inside the game entertainment and media studios and on top of being connected or listening through our website you may be tuning in on one of the many media platforms that we are heard on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, or Podtail podcast platforms, or even social media platforms such as Facebook or Instagram. Either way, very happy you're able to join us for this special edition recording. Getting to our special edition co-hosts here on this upload. The first co-host is brought to you by Compass Imaging Group and Tomansky Office Interiors. And with over 1,000 professional hockey games, he's been all over the world. Wicked speed. Wicked clap bomb from the top of the circle, as I have said numerous times in the show. And he's also getting quite expertise level, may I add, with the tech side of video. Being co-host of these special edition uploads, Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, Pat? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be back. I always look forward to doing these. Uh, we have a great guest. I can't wait to uh, hear what he has to say, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, definitely going to be a special show here. Very much looking forward to this one. And going for my second co-host here tonight, listeners know him well from our hockey news side of our show locally, a passionate hockey and sport individual overall who takes his talents each summer to fighting forest fires with coming back to provide entertainment on our gem platform. The always spirited and feisty Dane Hantro. Daner, welcome on board tonight, and this is one of your first special edition uploads. Yeah, happy to be back after the uh, long layoff, and looking forward to our uh, very special guest uh, interview tonight. It's certainly going to be an exciting show, boys. An honor to be joined by this special guest, and buckle up for this introduction. Get back, set up whatever beverage you're having, food you're eating, Turn up the volume on your earphones. This introduction is going to get you absolutely fired up. Second round pick, 46th overall to Detroit Red Wings in 1992. Born in Burnaby, BC. Grew up in Leamington, Ontario, if I noticed correctly. Played his OHL career for the Belleville Bulls, where he was the captain in his final season with the team, scoring 55 goals, 72 assists for 127 points, where he was rewarded the Jim Mahan Memorial Trophy for top-scoring right winger. This thrill of a hockey player to watch played in over 700 professional hockey league games and scoring over 280 points, 121 goals, 161 assists to be exact for 288 points, 1,477 penalty minutes over a course of 15 NHL seasons, with 13 of those seasons being with the Detroit Red Wings, two of which with the Calgary Flames. However, in Detroit, winning a total of four Stanley Cups, count them, four Stanley Cups, where he was also a part of over 170 playoff games, all with the Red Wings organization. He is a fan favorite, a legend within the Red Wings organization, and not only does this guy play hockey, but he can also sing, literally rock out. He also has an autobiography titled My Last Fight, The True Story of a Hockey Rockstar, and he is a proponent for legalization of cannabis. Now, after hockey as well, he takes his tales of hockey, passion of music, 
and the journey of cannabis on his well-known podcast, Grind Time. If you haven't guessed who this is yet by the introduction or simply haven't looked at the title of this upload, this briefly describes the one and only Darren McCarty. Darren, how's it going, my friend? Pleasure to be here, you bunch of beauty ankle benders. That's what it's all about. So, and, 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 and Brooksy, I'm, I, I have a soft spot for the clapper down the wing, buddy. High heat, baby. High yeah, that's heat. Right. That's right. Absolutely. That's the way. I didn't. I didn't have the speed. The speed wasn't there. You didn't. You didn't usually hear that with my name. That was Draper. So, uh, but I can relate to the clapper. You certainly do crash the net, though. Let me tell you that. Uh, you know what? It's it. Like I tell everybody, I said you. I was lucky that uh, learned how to um, stop because we had body checking at a young age. So um, crashing the net, that's just that's just easier to stop. You know, it takes a lot of work to stop. You know, honestly, why <laughs> stop? Just keep going, honestly. And then when the puck's in, that's just an extra reward, right? That's, Essentially, that's it. That's <laughs> it, buddy. Or, or somebody's laying laying on the ice. That's yeah. even you know. It's all it's all good. You know what? The best that you brought that up. I you know the I had the Mahan Award in junior back in '92, 55 goals. The best part of that is that Kirk Maltby, fellow grindliner and four-time Stanley Cup champ, uh, my line mate of the grindline. He had 50 that year. It was a great year for him, but I had 55. So you know how that goes in the hockey circle. <laughs> you did almost bet. 30 years, almost 30 <laughs> years later, and that you know at least now I got him trained. That when when it's brought up that he will say it before I will. So I don't even have to bring it up. You know, that that's bragging right to have, especially on a live mate. Now I want to flat out ask you right off the hop here with your long resume and experience, despite what you're doing now, how much do you miss playing the game? It just seems like yes, you lift your fourth Stanley cup with the wings. And I remember watching you as a kid, you know, uh, wearing, I was actually a leaf fan as everyone knows, but I was actually wearing an Eiserman Jersey. When we were playing against the Philadelphia Flyers and the Washington Capitals, cheering you guys on. And, you know, it feels like just yesterday I was watching that. All time has flown by. You know, how much do you miss playing the game? Not my game, guys. I don't miss the game at all. It's a, you know, it's a different game that's played now from the game that uh, I was played for. The greatest analogy is when I played and you went through the middle with your head down and you got lit up, you might be able to be mad at the defenseman who threw you the pass or it's your own fault. You've been taught that. Now in the game, it's the guy that hits him, gets in trouble. So I wouldn't, I, the... The confusion of the way that I was raised and the, and the game that I loved is not anymore. Now, as a fan, hey, these guys, these guys are unbelievable athletes. Uh, I think that the finals there that Tampa won, you know, it was such great hockey. And I think you see, as a, you mentioned Steve Eisenman, I think you see the uh, – for. Uh, I, you know, I'm, that's the smartest thing you ever said as a Leafs fan is that you have a Steve Eisman jersey, by the way. But the <laughs> fact is that what you saw, what Tampa did, is that what he's going to create here in Detroit. So, um, you know, it, I don't miss the game. I play alumni. I play some, uh, you know, NHL alumni, some Detroit alumni, skate, you know, here and there. But I'd rather swing a golf club than uh, get on the ice. You know what? I was going to say I had a Darren McCarty jersey, but I felt the beach much <laughs> no, well then you no that that then then I was gonna have to watch what I said the rest of the time because you did you were one of, then I would put you in one of the fifteen percent with common sense but no you're a Leaf yeah. fan so we know you don't have that but at least no. you went hey. 
or the or the ankle grabber. I'm not sure which one we should go with. Well, you know what? He, uh, you know what? That's uh, Bambi. Uh, Bambi wasn't just a deer. Bambi also was on the ice too. Could have been Dave. <laughs> Brooksy. Yeah, no, you know, before, uh, you know, we jump into your playing days, I, I just want to talk a little bit about what you're doing right now and, you know, how inspirational it's been for you. And, uh, you know, you mentioned in a bunch of articles uh, in the world of media about cannabis and how much it's changed your life. So I just want for the listeners, you know, talk a little bit about what you're doing now and how involved you are with all of this. Yeah, you know, the easiest way to explain it to anybody in the hockey circle is that you, I took the red wing off and I put the cannabis plant on my chest as what I mean by that is I will protect this plant as much as I protected my teammate. And if you're not sure, Google me and you'll see, I'll bring up March 26, 97, but it's one of these things that um, I come from alcoholism and insomnia and through, and it's, it's one of these things that through, through education and that we're in 2020 and if I'm not going to get mad and upset and raise a, raise a tip about being prescribed pills and what that's done, we're educated enough as a society to know that there's an option. And I found that option and, and you know what, the league put me through four rehabs. The one thing is, is that there was something missing, but I learned all these tools that I apply today. Fast forward, when you're retired, you're sort of, what have you done for me lately? And you sort of get lost and you get lost in yourself. Uh, for me, I was lucky that the love of a woman made me want to fight for myself uh, through the love of, of people in Michigan and, and in the cannabis community. They were able to take uh, Rick Simpson oil, which is the plant concentrated. He's actually Canadian, by the way, deserves a congressional medal honor, whatever they deliver in Canada. Cause he, uh, he's, it's through that, that I was able to get rid of the addiction of the physical addiction of alcohol. I'd been years, I'd been mentally and spiritually ready to quit, but, but I would get sick when I didn't drink, not when I drank. I was about long story short, uh, November 11th will be five years um sober this time which i consider one of my greatest accomplishments but the one thing is is that i live by the principles of alcoholics anonymous except my my program has a garden in it and and the bottom line is when when i found out when i got after i came out of eight days of doing this rso treatment and i got the physical addiction i was on my knees in gratitude for not having that physical physical addiction anymore but then I got mad and then I got angry because of the truth and that's the one thing is that I learned in rehab vulnerable truth uh, with integrity is what my heart virtue or what makes me tick so when that's off in my world hence March 26 Claude Lemieux it explains a lot of things you know for for me my my journey is I always knew who I was to everybody else I never knew who I was to myself and that's what the plant is, has given me. Not, and it's through the, you know, it's not about getting high. It's a fact I tell everybody I'm never high. I'm always fully medicated. And that's through CBD and the CBN and the, the what the sleep can give you and, and your body. And when you understand why this plant, which has over 500 cancer curing properties in it, 
and you have an endocannabinoid system, which is like a food processor just for this plant. So you're telling me common sense wise that it's just my job to get the right plant of this right cannabis plant strain, whatever into my body and my body will do the rest. And that's what I'm telling you. Now there's a lot of people that are smarter than me. I just surround myself. And the one thing that you will always hear me say is don't tell me what, tell me who that's in life. And that's in everything else, because it's my, now that I have Riley Cote, who is a, a great, um, advisor the former tough guy in philadelphia and stuff because he's he's the one that has, has been sort of a mentor in education and stuff because he's he's really ahead of the hemp and the cbd and stuff like that but it's just the understanding and now being in a position that you'll see is it's you know i'm tired and there's a lot of us other guys uh enforcer guys myself scott parker um you know, uh, guys, uh, Scott Thornton, Todd Bertuzzi, guys that have been through the wars that, you know, want to let, you know, let guys know that, um, you know, there's a way out and uh, it's you have to do the work. That's the bottom line. So for me, the advocacy just comes from and it, and it comes from people making a choice. But the bottom line, fellas, I do not care what you're doing, but if I'm not doing it, then do not do it near me. Do not do it around me, please. Show me that respect, and I'll show you the respect that I won't punch you in the face. <laughs> That's pretty Very much true. it. Yeah. No, no but so, you're, you know, talking about, the, you know, the medical cannabis and stuff, and uh, I'm good friends with a guy who you might know as Rob Frid, who's actually works closely with Riley Cote on yeah. all the stuff with the NHL alumni. And, you know, we've got, Dave and I have got to learn a lot about what it's doing and uh, for athletes. And it's such an amazing thing that we, ha that's, that's starting for people to see how it's kind of like saving people's lives. Well, it is because it's taken that pill. Like we know that with the pills, right, it'll help one thing and, and create two different things, right? Because then why would the common sense, again, like cannabis is a common sense plant the common sense drug even though i hate when people call it a drug it's not a drug it's a plant and anyways but the, the whole thing is the education is there now so let's not pretend it's not right and there's a lot of smart people not just in this country but across the world that have been using it for for years and years and years and if you look at the history of why and you, and, and it, you know forget the why just that we know now it's because it's about what, what it does in regulating your system is it's your sleep, your appetite, your pain. And when you educate yourself on how you can get rid of that, then, you, then life happens. But you can at least deal with life on life's terms and not have to go through it thinking, you know, that you need an alternative substance than, than to feel good. Because, like... I don't know about you guys, but sleep sleep was the most, a lot of the reasons I drank myself to sleep is because I couldn't sleep. And there's nothing like being, having to worry about six guys you got to fight the next night. Oh, yeah, and you got to play, and you got to play, you know, on the right wing with Iserman or shut down Joe Sackick or whatever it is, right? So for me, it's about the explanation of why. Why do I be? Why do I act that way? Why do I think that way? And the more that I understand, and the more that I'm educated, um, in a lot of different ways, that it helps. So I encourage everybody not to be to be scared. But if they 
have those questions because the bottom line is I don't want anybody to ever get to where I was at because I don't think that most people would be able to survive. And that's, that's unfortunate. So we've lost too many people that, that haven't wanted to, to pass in all ways of life. And it's, whether it's, it's friends, family, teammates, guys you played with against, you know, whatever else. So just that's, this is just my way. And, and it's something that I'm passionate about because I live. And uh, so I'm fortunate that here in, in Michigan that I have my own Darren McCarty brand that I'm just getting ready to unveil the CBD roll on. I have pre-rolls out, um, all different stuff. So um, it's not, you know, I'm going to tell you once and show you twice. So, you know, that, that's that's what I'm into now. Mostly. I support everything. That's Brooks. She said everything that we've learned about it from Fred and from, uh, you know, working also with Riley Cote is Fred. And then there's also another individual that I've got to know personally, Ryan Phillips as well. Uh, you know, there's guys out there that are really involved in this and to see you spearhead a lot of it and uh, get into it. I certainly back up and support 100%. It's certainly something uh, that is useful and beneficial. And it took a long time for the world to come into realization of that. And they're still learning. Uh, but with the individuals like yourself bringing it forward, it's certainly giving a positive effect. But Dane, uh, Brooksy and I have been invading the way, uh, the radio waves right now and the broadcasting waves. Sign over to you, my friend. Oh, yeah, Darren, I got, a, I got a question about that. So obviously with the NHL and their policies with uh, marijuana, um, obviously players aren't allowed to take it right now. There's health benefits to it. And uh, I can kind of relate to you with, you know, having trouble sleeping and stuff like that. And it's something that definitely helped me. Do you see the NHL maybe kind of moving ahead with maybe lightening their, their policies uh, as far as maybe having players being able to, to use it for health benefits and you think like maybe the reason is right now as to why they uh, are anti-marijuana is just kind of a little bit of ignorance and the unwillingness to kind of educate themselves on the matter because I, I it's something that i i feel that would you know definitely benefit some nhl players for sure when it comes to well, that with the dvd and I, all that stuff as far as like pain and stuff like that goes no i mean you're you're answering your own question but i think you guys know the answers to the whole thing because you're dealing with the old boy network that's um the same thing that you could have a beer in your hand when you're 12 years old that's cool you could be puking shit face when you're 14 that don't matter but the fact that you want to use something that to benefit so it's all with education and i think that the education that you see i think first it comes through the nhlpa I know there's been a two-year, two, two-year, uh, $40 million study in uh, collaboration with Canopy Canada to show the education. And when it's there, when it's there in proof, and because you look at the way, you know, the United States have either realized medically or uh, recreationally, it opens up. My my whole thing with legalization, it. it medically is where it's a proponent but my whole thing with legalization is then if it helps to have somebody feel more confident in coming out of the woodworks and asking a question because it's legal you know i noticed that here in michigan you know people aren't afraid to ask questions or you know that they were before because of the stigma behind it now as far as the league it's the old boys network and i don't really give a shit you know, I don't care because what do I care about? I care about guys knowing that that when they're done or if they're in trouble, 
You know, like you're dealing with when you get into the billionaires and stuff like that, bro, you're out of my league. I'm I'm the grind liner. I'm everyday guy. I like to say that, you know, I, I'm I'm the field medic. I'm out there on the front lines. I'll leave it to Washington and I'll leave it to boot camp, you know, how you train the youngers to, to educate them and what you do with policy. I'm worried about people living and dying right now. Right. So as far as if there's guys on the radar and stuff, and I'm more concerned with like guys like Brady Leobold and the puck support foundation and his hockey to heroin podcast and stuff about recovery guys who didn't make it to the show that still struggle or played, you know, like look at Brooksy, like Brooksy played thousand games, bro. He's a freaking, you know, like, like, the utmost respect from from me if it matters i got four cups but dude he's a guy that grinded it out his love of the game doesn't doesn't change all of our loves of the game doesn't change so i'm more concerned i don't i'm not dealing with i'm not good in the bureaucracy that's why riley's spearheads a lot of shit because i end up you know i, I can't be around it man i Vulnerable truth with integrity and and so i'd rather like the guy who's struggling to know that there's a conversation that he doesn't have to go to the gun, the bottle, the pills, you know, something, whatever else, that there's a group of us that are trying to make a difference and it's about conversation. So, you know, I'm more concerned with the PA than I am about the league. They'll get around to it when when the money's right, the pressure's right, all the other stuff. The more we talk about it, the more you realize it, right? Look, at you guys just said it. The more you were educated, the more you understand. And that's yeah. why I say the CBDs, the CBNs, that's the whole thing as far as recuperation, as far as pain, as far as dealing with swelling, as far as dealing with sleep, with your appetite, weight loss. It's all with the, the way to regulate your whole system. And why? It's called endocannabinoid system. We all have one. Anything with the spine has one and this plant feeds that. It's simple as that. You know what, honestly, it's amazing to see how the development has went where before no one had the education that was starting to come out, and it's just overall amazing to see everything that is coming out because I could not agree with it more. Now, well, let, me, let, let me correct you in that, just so you know the truth. Yeah. Right? The education now is coming out because it's over flooded. The education was there. It always has been. It's just the, the if you follow the dollar people have had it hey, the, the greatest thing that I the realization and you guys are probably millennials and i say thank you because what you've millennials have given us you can dog them all you want but what they've given us all is transparency with these phones with whatever else it doesn't matter what it is but it's it's the transparency of the truth and that and the biggest thing is cannabis it's it's resilient and patient. That's how you have to live, like the plant. It's been doing its thing since the beginning of time, right? Same thing every season. This that whether it's manipulated, whether it isn't, it's here for a reason. So that's the whole thing. Is now that because when they say we don't have enough information, I thought that too until I was I was informed differently. With they've had information for years and years and years. Well, so, Darren, it's it's like when you say you speak the truth, right? That's that's how you work. You know, I, I found, it's my truth. And, and my it's, truth. Okay, so it's your truth. But when we're speaking about it, and when you talk about you know the the higher um, you know the NHLPA, the NHL, and how sometimes they've always known the truth and what guys are going through, and you know now that we have all this social media, 
you know, it's amazing, you know, how that is getting out. They have no choice. So they're actually hearing yeah. the truth and they're having to do something about it now because of, you know, social media and all this stuff that has happened. Well, he, who's hearing the truth As before? Right? We didn't have yeah, exactly who's hearing the truth. The public's hearing the truth, like the real everybody's hearing the real real. It's not just held behind doors or or whatever else. And and I'm not saying, listen, doctor, the the interactions and everything to, to the point to have, you know, the career and everything to get to this point. I think I I believe in my best interest with the education at the time that the league did the best that they could. Unfortunately, I don't think the best that they could do back then is the best they can do now. So that's my role. My role is to, uh, I'll, it's just like the game's evolved. Well, healthcare, lifestyle, everything else has evolved. Let's look at it and let's be serious. Like, not on the BS, but like, you know, you want guys to go out there and literally play at speeds to risk their lives because they're a one hit or a concussion away and you're talking whatever else and you're not going to use something that is is going to allow them to benefit that doesn't have it doesn't have an enhancement i don't get it because here's the thing you don't use it <laughs> game day you don't use it to play you don't you you don't want none of that you want it to recover you want it to go to sleep at night because i don't care who you are you're wired up till four or five in the morning and whatever it's unhealthy it's unhealthy but it's accepted so We'll see what ha- we'll see what happens. I mean, I I hope it does, but again, I don't care. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, but you know, honestly, it's so so great to hear that. What your passion is with it too, it's more than we've ever heard with this. And just by hearing more from you, it's gained myself, Brooksy, Dame, and our listeners more education. And that and and that's all it is, boys. It's it's it's. What do you mean by that? I'm here all day long. But what do you mean by that? It's questions. I'm not here to argue. Google me. See what happens. Now, <laughs> love, love, oh, especially with uh, 1997 there, but uh, that's one little tip that I'll give listeners that we'll be jumping into later on. But there's more with yourself. The Grind Time podcast I want to jump into. You and I got connected uh, through Nick Antonucci, obviously, and I made sure I said the last name slow because I've known for butchering last names. And you know, the, the crew that you have with Grind Time and how it all started, I wanted you to just kind of tell us how it did start, why it did start, because obviously the passion of podcasting and your social abilities and just getting your voice heard is within uh, what you want to do. And obviously you want to bring that forward to the society here in general. Were you just like, yep, I can do a show, let's do it? Or was this something you had a passion about doing? Well, you know what? Everybody asks me, what is Grind Time with Darren McCarty? And, and you know, Grind Time to me is a family and it's not Darren McCarty is the name that can bring it attention at, but it's about the, you know, sort of the values and why we started the podcast um, was a, um, I wanted to get more chops behind the mic and I, I love stories. And, and as I was getting in my recovery, I wanted to get into other people's recoveries to help me and mine and also to the connections to different people and the friends that I had. And, you know, it's developed. So we started that in, in Mike Walters, who Mike Walters is part of the Detroit cast. So I got to take a little history is back in the day. So during our I came here in 93 
And the ra- the biggest radio station was 101 The Rip. It still is, right? And Drew and Mike had the number one show in the area, probably one of the top ones in the in the whole country. The morning show, and I used to go on as a guest, and and Mike was one of the one of their producers, and we we were buddies throughout my career and stuff like that. So he, I blame him with sort of uh, it's his fault that uh, I sort of have the podcast. So we started out just to sort of do it, and and then we evolved, and we went to NRM Streamcast to try a different format, and that then the COVID sort of hit, but. Uh, you know, it's something that I'm I'm in the in the talks right now to to revamp it. The one thing that I realized is that grind time is a in person event. You know, like it's a it's a round table, it's face to face, it's having a conversation, and um, you know, so I really enjoy getting to know people. I get to you know, I have some great great friends and great people like uh i like to introduce people to you guys you know like the letter kenny guys and the and the trailer park guys are buddies of mine so um you know I, i've been fortunate to meet a lot of people and and i like people to be able to know a little bit more of people that i'm into so grind time with Darren mccarty is just what pretty much i like and uh you know, right right now, if you go to DarrenMcCarty.com or Grind Time, you'll see um, some old some old episodes and stuff. But um, you know, the the one thing is that if you notice that if you go to Real Darren McCarty or, or Darren McCarty with the social media, is that um, I've I've added uh, a couple guys and we've revamped the social media aspects. So coming into the new year with the Darren McCarty brand. With real Darren McCarty, with Grind Time, uh, with uh, Slapstick Comedy Tour, you know, all that different stuff. We got a lot of things. Oh, and and the band, the band's back, gonna fire up again. So awesome. I wrote, wrote, we wrote a bunch of new stuff. So it, you know, it, it's life's exciting, and and you know, I just want people, no matter where they're, to understand that if they don't ever quit, it, and you know, it, it, it you can always you know, get out from underneath of where you're at. It may not seem like it, but trust me, you can do it. But you got to want, all you got to do is want, you got to want to fight though. You can't, if you don't want to fight, then, you know, then it's not, then it's not worth it. Oh, that's, that's a perfect way to put the grind time podcasters. Honestly, if the, you would have a show, there's nothing that makes more sense in this world. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> I love not, it. That's that's the pure pure honesty from my end, speaking my truth, if you would. Uh, but yeah, one thing, one, uh, one thing, Mac, uh, that I wanted I want to rewind back to the playing days now, and uh, we'll we'll go all over here. Like honestly, I feel like we're gonna touch a lot of points, a lot of topics. We'll try to keep it as organized best we can. But we're gonna start with the days in the OHL, okay? And Dane, I'll slide over to you to jump into this. Yeah, Darren, you played uh, three years with the uh, Belleville Bulls, uh, putting up 27 points in your first year, uh, more than doubling that your second year, and then putting up a huge season of uh, 127 points with uh, 177 penalty minutes in your last season. I just want to ask you, uh, based after the end of your second year, um, kind of where do you think your draft ranking was at that point uh, compared to your last season where you doubled your up the 55 goals with the 70 
two assists in 170 penalty minutes, uh, getting drafted 46 overall. But just kind of maybe the year before that, obviously the dream is uh, anybody that plays junior hockey is to make the NHL. But uh, kind of where did you see yourself at your uh, in your career in your second season playing for Belleville and where it was uh, the future was holding for you? Here's the secret, boys. Tell everybody. I was told a secret by Brian Drum when I went and played. I moved away from Leamington. Uh, after my last year in Bantam and I went and played junior B in Peterborough for a coach named Brian Drum. And he told, he played in the minors and he told me, he said, to make it to the NHL, you got to do one thing better than 99.9% of the rest of the people that play. And I know you like to score goals, but that's not going to get you there. You're not a good enough skater. You're going to always have to work on your skating because people always say never be good enough, but you're damn tough enough. And if you embrace if you embrace that role, that can get you to that level. Because I had the crazy, I I had the fearlessness. I didn't care how big, dude. I got my wrist broke my my year when I was 16. So the year I got drafted to Belleville, in the playoffs, I fought a 21 year old. I think he had two kids in the stands and he had a beard and stuff. And he broke my wrist because he was so strong. My arm with bone wasn't strong enough. But I stood in there, and it didn't matter. Like, I knew that I could take a beating, and I knew that I, that I liked it, and it didn't matter what. So, so what Drummer told me was every year, first year, all you do is just run people and fight and whatever and work on your skating every day and go to power skating in the summer and work on your score and work on your skills. And I took that to every level. So, you know, I was never – it was almost like – I, I won OH or I won I finished second to Corey Hurst for CHL player of the year. I won OHL player of the year that year, but as a nineteen year old, you you know, you're not supposed to get drafted, but it, it was one of those seasons that you couldn't who is gonna take take that chance? And uh thank God there's a scout named Paul Crowley who'd seen me play uh, from the day I started in Peterborough and just kept hammering Kenny Holland for for three years saying you, you want this kid, you know? So that was the same mentality. I mean, you look at my first year. So the 27 points out in Belleville, I mean, I had a hundred and some penalty minutes, but I had like 20 fights. You go to my first year in the minors in Adirondack, I got 17 goals, 19 assists and 278 penalty minutes. There was no tens in there. There was 45 majors in fighting, and I was fighting every tough Sergio Bears, uh, Rick Hayward, uh, Curran, all these old guys that used to watch fight tapes on, but that was the next level because I knew that Bob Probert needed a Robin. Batman needed a Robin. And I, I always just wanted to be, like, you know, first gun. You know, I didn't have to be the big I When I didn't have to be the big guy, when I could be the, the you know, the – the lightweight guy or whatever. And that's, you know, through throughout playing is that we were formed over team toughness, you know, like with Shani and myself and, you know, guys like Marty LaPointe, it wasn't, you know, we're not going to beat your brains in, but we're going to stand up for each other. So that was the mentality. And then how can you not succeed when you, when practices harder than the games, when you're skating against Fedorov, Iserman, Shanahan, Lidstrom. You got to play against Nick Lidstrom every freaking practice, dude, and he just freaking <laughs> steals a puck and laughs. 
every time in the game because <laughs> you couldn't hit him, not because Scotty told you not to hit him, because you couldn't catch him because he's like this and that and make you look like a fool. You'd just be like, you just be couldn't wait to run the left V man in the corner on a dump and just be, you'd be like, Nick, yeah, Nick, see him smeared like that? That's your fault for practice. Make me look like an idiot the other day, you know, like things like that. So, I mean, you know, like the Russian five, you know, uh, Larianov and, and Fatisov. And, you know, have you guys seen the Russian five movie? I actually, oh, yes. Uh, Definitely. I don't yes. Uh, I actually, so, you haven't? Well, you, know, well, you need to. Yeah, spoiler. Well, watch it tonight, though. Here's the, here's the whole thing, right? The greatest part about that is it's 100% accurate it's a hundred percent feeling for when we all watch this and i've seen it like a thousand times but when we all watch it the feeling you get is back there and you know why we were successful is because we loved each other unconditionally no matter what and that and and to circle back around to the beginning conversation that's always been there, and that's why I'm still here is through the love of my Red Wing family, through everything else, right? And and so, yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's normal, and you know things are a little different, but you know I I'm grateful for, you know, for that. And but it's you know that to answer your question, uh, you know I was hoping to go to Detroit in the first round because. Uh, Ottawa had a pick in the first pick in the second round and, and it was between them and that and they didn't take me so it was good and Detroit picked me in the second round. So that was pretty cool. Again, Maltz went in the third round. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what's great you ended up uh, better better off in Detroit than you would have been in uh, Ottawa uh, at that but, time there. Well uh, yeah, because it's my team. It's a team I grew up cheering for. You know yeah. the best here, here's something for your Toronto fandom. Um, the greatest thing is when I was 10 years old, my cousin's one of you, right? That I grew up with. He's like my brother. He's a Toronto fan through and through. He's he's from, uh, um, you know, the Strathroy area and stuff. And and uh, we made a bet when we were 10 years old who would win the Stanley Cup first, the the Leafs or the Wings. And the fact that I scored that goal, I made him pay me 200. <laughs> I scored the goal. Yeah. Yeah. He had to pay me 200. <laughs> Roxy. They, yeah, no, you, you know, you, you said it so right when you were talking about, you know, being, you know, Bob Probert's Robin. And it's about knowing your role. Like, just imagine the guys that you played with that probably should have made the NHL, but they were struggling to find where they fit in because – you're so unless you're an absolute super superstar, you're so interchangeable in the NHL, and it's amazing when you find your role. And you know, like yourself, you knew your role and what you did, and you did it to the best of your ability. You did it every night, and and that's why you were able to play so long. And it's amazing how many guys don't know their role but have the potential to be there. Well, you know, and it, and it goes a lot of things that goes full circle, you know, when you, when you say like accepting your role, I look at our fourth line when we won the cup in 02 and you got Igor Larionov, Luke Robitaille, Thomas Holmstrom, who I think combined for four of the seven goals in game seven against Colorado in the conference finals. But regardless, there's the, 
most scoring left winger in NHL history, you know, the Igor Larionov. I mean, Jesus, there's only one more bigger pacifist in history. That's Gandhi. I mean, the professor, he's unbelievable. And, you know, and then Homer is another four copper. That's the one thing is that we all accepted our roles. We all knew we were important. I mean, the, we used to laugh as a grind line, Chris Draper, Kirk Maltby, and myself. It'd be like, oh, the big guys aren't doing it tonight. Grind line, go, go get one. And we were able to score between us some pretty big goals, especially when it mattered, which is playoff time. Oh, you guys are the my favorite line of all time, and you guys are wing wing a uh, wing line. I can't believe I'm even saying that, but like your energy, we still reference that. Like coaches still reference that to youth that they're teaching here in the Sioux a lot, and just that Malpe, the Drapers, yourself, Holmstrom was a king in front of the net. There's players that that try to be as good as he was. There's a lot of good players right now who have a presence in front of the net that are good, but no one did what Holmstrom did in front of the net, or what the grind line could do uh, in particular. That that is the grind line is probably one of the best names. That's why. Overall, it's one of the it's one of the best lines, energy lines, the best lines in Detroit Red Wings history too, in terms of what you brought to the table. So speaking of the Red Wings too, as we continue on, your first game, Darren, put on the jersey for the first time. Scotty Bowman's your coach, and let me tell you, he's probably the, if not the best coach of all time. I bet you, I imagine you would agree with that statement. It's pretty obvious. What is he telling you in that first game, and what's your thought process when you step on that ice for the first time? You know what? I don't. I don't really remember. Other than you know, had to be surreal. I think I was more worried that about fighting Shane Churla or you know, once you get into that mode, like you sort of belong. But I remember walking out there and, and having the red jersey on, and I think that you know, like Scotty Bowman is. You know, he's the what, what makes him the greatest is he's not the greatest coach. He's the greatest psychologist. And what he does is he teach, he taught us all that you don't treat everybody the same because they're not. Now, the, what he would – this is – I don't know what he said, but it would go along the lines of this. If he told Sergei Fedorov, you need to do this, you need to do this more, and you need to do this more, he would tell Darren McCarty, don't ever do that again. And so I would usually do something, and he'd say, don't ever do that again. And I'd go, okay, Scotty. And that that's the way our relationship worked. But I'll tell you this is is you mentioned, you know, the grind line and that's so cool that, you know, to be able to have recognize your career, not just when it comes, but as a as a line in a group. And the one thing that I will take to my grave in my Hall of Fame moment is after we won in O two, uh, Scotty retired and we were at Mr. and Mrs. Illich, the owners um for a party and he comes up and he says you know the one thing i wanted to tell my players is that you know i didn't uh you know let let them know how much i appreciate i'm like well thanks scott i appreciate too he goes no shut up and i was like oh okay and he goes what i wanted to tell you was that you're my second favorite right winger ever to play for me next to gila fleur i hope you're not mad and then he left thank goodness (laughs) thank goodness somebody was standing beside me that you know i got him to you know testify right there that he said that so so um yeah i owe him everything you know i believe that if you even look back some of the highlights uh there was a game in old chicago stadium in exhibition my rookie year where cam russell and i fought in the corner and then we squared off at center ice with in a five on five i think that that made scotty realize that 
I might need this kid around. He's crazy. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, alongside, uh, honestly, Sergey Fedorov, Nick Lynch, uh, Steve Eiserman had eight years approximately under his belt or so as the list goes on with that legendary Red Wing roster. Okay, is there someone who took you under their wing in particular? Like, I know... Like, I think I might know the answer to this, but you had such a strong leadership core and a strong presence in the locker with the guys in there. Was there uh, one or even two guys, or was it a full team thing? What was, was there anyone taken under your wing or anything like along those lines? I would say early on, uh, Dino Cicerelli and Paul Coffey were always great to me. Uh, Coff was great. Coff wouldn't talk to me. I, I ran him and in game two of the 97 finals or he was pinching in and I smoked the snot out of him. He wouldn't talk to me for a few years, but we're over it now. Um, but they were, they were awesome. Dino is still one of my buddies or is still a great friend. We play a lot of golf together. You know, um, I can't talk highly enough for Dino Cicerelli, but then, you know, how the room were, it, it, you know, you had, it was more by age or by, you know, single, not, you know, whatever else. But it was, you know, we all governed, we didn't all govern each other, but like Drapes was sort of the ringleader of us younger guys until Joey Kosher came because Joey Kosher's nickname's Papa. So that Scotty knew he needed a, like a corral for some of us younger guys. And he was the best. But the best part is like you go, it'd be like you'd be on the bus to the hotel and on the way there, it'd be like, all right, Movie crews meeting here at the, at five thirty. The you know the guys who wanted to go to for the big dinner would meet at this time, and then you know whatever else. And you'd go you know to Russian dinners. You go to with everybody else. It just it'd be more meet in the lobby, and then next thing you know, you wouldn't you'd have a conversation and you get to know somebody a little bit more. That's pretty much how our team you know operated, but. Uh, Oh, but to answer your question, um, yeah, Steve Eisen, I was Steve Eisenman's bitch. So um, he, he uh, still to this day, and I tell everybody that, you know, he said you got to know your role. It took me three years to realize, stop sucking my thumb and crying in the corner because uh, he picked on me because he liked me. And that still doesn't change to this day. It's still, you know, something's always my fault and I'm not even around. But okay. we, all, we all have a role. No, we all have a role on a particular team, and you filled your role like to a T, obviously. And now, naturally, the grind line. How natural was it for you guys to play with each other? You know, I know you. It's pretty goes without saying because of how legendary the line is. But what made it work? Like, you know, did, did it just like you guys had different role, like different mentalities, different style? Was it? You know, what was you it? know what I I think that coming out coming out of even though Drake played only one year in the OHL and stuff, but coming out of there, but from early on, we just, we just were on the same frequency. Like we never had to, and, and we noticed it in practice because when you're playing against the best in the world and you're frustrating the Eisenman's, the Federoffs, when you're shutting the Russian five down because you're just a little bit anticipation, it was something that was sort of natural, but it, a lot of it has to do with trust. We trusted each other. You know, we played the left wing lock system, which means that pretty much it meant that your right winger was the stu- the dumbest one on the line because he had free reign. That was me. 
free reign to go anywhere he wanted, just brought your right point, but you could run around anywhere. And it was responsibility of the left winger or the centerman to lock the left side to have sort of three across, and it was more of a two-three. But we didn't use it that way. Scotty would implement the other guys to do that. But I could I was smart enough and Scotty um knew I had enough defensive responsibility that we just operated ebb and flow. And when those two guys are those two guys could absolutely fly. And when they get in a, a mode and they run you back to back, like they make you mad. You know, you know, guys, you know how many times they went into a pile with There'd be Chris Draper, Kirk Mompey. There'd be guys on the other team. There'd be sticks, gloves. I'd be going in there. I'd go, hey, hey what's going on? And the other team would be going, nah, it's Draper, Mompey. They're assholes. And I'd be like, yeah, they are, but they're my assholes. Now what? <laughs> right? So they were no, good. That's... They were so good at that. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, one of your line mates in the grind line, a story that you probably told so many times. I just want to get into it about the brawl against the avalanche and the fight you had with Claude Lemieux. Just in case the listeners who don't know the whole story, I just want to hear your version of it uh, for our listeners. All right. I'll give you the sort of the Coles notes, but uh, you got to understand. So I made the Detroit. I grew up a Detroit Red Wings fan. I grew up, give or take 10 minutes for the border. My house was 40 minutes. So I grew up in the dead wing era. And why, why could I be a wings fan? Cause Edmonton was my second team. And plus the Detroit Tigers were winning world series. So, so I had time, right. But the whole thing is in 93, we won the president's trophy, lost to San Jose in the first round, made it uh, lockout year, made it to the finals, got swept by Jersey. Came out in the 95-96 season, set the league record, 62 wins back then and stuff like that. Played Colorado and uh, lost to them in six games. And in the sixth game, right in front of me in the second period, which is if you watch the replay, it's right in front of me where Chris Draper, my centerman, gets hit from behind, run by Claude Lemieux. Uh, who's the most hated guy in hockey at this <laughs> at this point? Um, and crushes Draper's jaw, breaks his orbital bone. It sounded like a a crisp single to right field on a cold opening day of baseball. His face just shattered. And here's the thing that people have to understand, okay? In life and in sports, bad things happen, but you can never ever lose respect for a fellow human being and the issue was right there's a hockey issue yeah you're going to get back but the fact that he never apologized said that he wasn't sorry you would have never heard of chris draper probably just made him millions of dollars and you know whatever else guys i mean uh, that's just not it, it, not even hockey in life you're lucky you know to be quite honest that you don't end up with somebody with a gun in their face you know, in real life. So the, the the big thing about the whole thing is people have to understand that this is in May. This is in the middle of the end of May in 1996. And two days after this happened, I'm the one who got Chris Draper out of the hospital. Doctor gave me pliers because he had his jaw wired shut um, and an orbital bone in his, in his cheek. So in case he was going to throw up so he didn't blue himself. Um and I, this is where everybody wants to know. Because there's only one thing that was ever said. 
and one thing was asked, and they're both by me to him in the car. I turned to him and I said, "Don't worry, I'll take care of that." And then I said, "Where do you want to eat?" Which <laughs> was a loaded question because I know he wanted Noki from Andiamo's, which is a sick restaurant. And by the way, it takes a guy with his jaw wired shut four hours to eat a plate of freaking Noki. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Selfish. But the point of the matter is, guys, that's in May, right? So I got to think, I, I got to stew on how am I going to get this guy back, right? Through the summer, through whatever else, this, that. So wind it all up, the, we'd play because um, in the conference, we'd play, we'd play four times, two, the, two in Colorado, two at home. Well, the first three games, um, I think he played one of them in Colorado, but I didn't get an opportunity and I wanted to do it at home. So March 26th. And it got so bad, guys, and I encourage anybody, it's free. This is free to use if you want. You can do what I did. Beginning of March, I got down on my knees because I was driving myself absolutely crazy on what I was going to do. I said, God, whatever happens, happens, but please let me be the messenger. If you watch the video, I think he listened, you know, because, because, that's the whole thing. Nothing was said between any of us. Because the bottom line, guys, remember I told you we'd set the league record the year before, 62 wins? They beat us out in the playoffs, and we hadn't beaten them all year, which means, oh, my gosh, they got our number. The only way out is through. So the more important isn't the revenge, although I'm not saying that if we didn't win the game, it wouldn't have meant anything. It still would have felt good. Don't get me wrong. But the fact is, is, is that we needed to win the game for the overall psyche. And the way that it happened, that in the first period on the ice, and I, you know, was waiting, and it had to be the perfect opportunity because I didn't want to put my team at a disadvantage. We had to win the game. And Larianov and Forsberg started rolling around like puppies on Christmas. And <laughs> I saw Lemieux there. But foot grabbed me, and Shanny came flying, broke his arms, and I faded him. And this is where, you know what, I tell everybody, this is the difference between a sucker punch and a cold cock. A sucker punch is, like, from behind. 99.6% of the time, don't do it. It's not good. The other point four, they deserved it. But a cold cock, and this is the cold cock of all cold cocks, because how many times have I seen that face that I wanted to punch? It's so hard. And the beauty of it? This is the beauty. I'm a lefty. When I pulled that right arm back, because it's more of the, it's got more graveyard than hospital to it, but it's got no accuracy except when I pulled it back, every person in red wing wheeled nation everywhere was in that from man, woman, and child, babies, everything, bang. And I hit him so hard, so hard. He even said he didn't turtle. He said, when I talked talk to him like 15 years later, we were doing a signing. He said, no, it's the hardest he's ever been hit. He was out. And I'm like, thank God I can't hit you any harder. Right? <laughs> like, but then I don't know. So if you watch, focused on shoving my fist through his skull, ripping his heart out through his nostril, even though I know it's not anatomically possible, that I don't know the uh, was the goalies almost got me. Shanny's flying around. You know, Bernie's fighting this and that. All I see is drapes there. And I go, oh, yeah, a little Old Testament. Eye for an eye, and I took his head and I bulldogged it as hard as I could, and it made it like a paintball splatter of his face right there. And I did try to knee him, but uh, Dan Shockey, the linesman, 
um, said that I was off balance, so I only got $2,500 fine. And the kicker of all of it, guys, I got four minutes for roughing and a 10-minute misconduct, right? <laughs> Absolutely shenanigans because Shaney told me back in 2013 when he was doing disciplinary, I would have got at least 10 games, right? <laughs> and I'm like, you're in, you were involved too. And he's like, I don't care. That was dirty. And I'm like, whatever. And so, but the bottom line, guys, is we were down 5-3 going into the third, and we tied it up. And the kicker to all of it, the kicker is I scored the overtime goal. So I not only got the revenge, I got the overtime win. And it was that moment in Wing Wheel Nation everywhere. It was proverbial. Oh, everything's going to be okay. I don't know what that means, but it's going to be okay. So, Dave, that's what you're still waiting for all these years to happen with the Leafs. (laughs) <laughs> he's I'm gonna be waiting shot. a lot more i just love the uh the, the shots at the leafs one day the fire will be ignited in leafland you just gotta wait we just that's our Bro. that's our Bro. that's our hashtag it's hashtag wait <laughs> did you hear that no doubt hey listen listen you're as it's as bad as you know what i think the detroit lions and the toronto maple leafs are like head and head to see who wins first oh no <laughs> That's where you're getting. You're getting it. You're getting down in the lion territory, bro. You're comparing <laughs> lions. I've never heard that one though before. That hurts even more than any chirp I've had. I think, honestly. Well, you haven't won in my lifetime. That's yeah. <laughs> They're not gonna win in Dave's either. I don't think. I think you should go sign with them for a, for a season, Darren, and maybe teach them a few things on that young squad. Can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> There is one thing, though, that I will say that I enjoyed very much watching. It's when you won the Cup in 1997, okay? And I had to watch a reminding video today because of how much you undressed. And I want everyone to highlight, pretend highlight, and envision how I'm saying undressed right now. Because Yanni Ninema, you literally gave him some inside and out action, okay? And I think you kind of did it with your head down a tad, too. I, I don't know if I'm right. I think your head might have been down just a tad. Oh did- yeah, dude! I was I was I was dumping it in. <laughs> I was Darren McCarty was planning to dump it in. God decided again to pretend I was Mario Lemieux, and I beat one guy one on one. It's all timing, guys. You might as well do it for the Stanley Cup clinching goal. And the worst part about it is uh, Yanni Ninema is a metalhead, and he's a good dude. And um, you know, uh, it, it could have happened to so many worse guys. But I was happy that it that it happened the way it did. And, you know, the irony of that, which is the 97 cup clinching goal is because my first Christmas card goes to Eric Lindros every year. Cause he's the <laughs> captain of Philadelphia. Cause he scored with 11 seconds left to make mine a cup clincher. And uh, once they put that in the hockey hall of fame, bro, no matter what stupid shit you do, they can't take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so true. You dangled them. Okay. And your line, the grind line shut down the, quote unquote legion of doom okay lindros he said mclaren renberg obviously you get that clinching goal as you mentioned and you get it not only do you cut through the middle you cut through the zone like here's the play that went down you can correct me if I'm wrong you broke out of the zone cut to the middle of the ice got basically an nhl 21 type pass in the middle of the zone walk cut in and he went on yanni ninema dangled him went around to hextall and went around him and basically you undressed hextall he was in left field and then you put it in the open cage, and then the Joe erupted, okay? The Joe erupted. And I can just imagine 
okay, the energy in the Joe. And that was the club, cup clinching goal, as you mentioned, after 42 years of winning the cup. That just must have been an unbelievable atmosphere. Let me put it into perspective, right? Because when I do my comedy or whatever, and I tell everybody, so I'm coming through the middle of the night. I understand it was a line change, right? Billy was on a line change. We were at the end of the shift. And there, I played with the grind line with Drapes and Maltz at the beginning of the game. Joey Kosher would play during the game when I go play with Thomas Sandstrom and Stevie. And because Scotty moved me all over the place. Anyways, I took the pass from Sandstrom through the middle. I was going to dump it in, like I said. And all I remember is I, I, when you get it, so I'm a right-handed shot. So I got it on my backhand. And you get the knee out, like, when you're growing up. And it doesn't matter. Anytime you're doing it. You're doing it with your buddies. You're doing it in a big, you know, plant, whatever. When you go, oh, when you know to yourself, oh, my God, I got him beat. When you could just say that to yourself. And then out of the corner of my eye, like, whatever it is. And this is why I say it's so good to play video games and stuff growing up because of your reflexes. Is that there's an orange spot. And it had to be a hex doll. And I just pulled this thing so quick. I was like a foot away from the, at the net. And I tell everybody, you know why I scored? Because I said, please don't miss the net. And I scored. And to cap it off, I did a couple pirouettes in the corner. And so imagine this, guys. Me, Darren McCarty, looks. The first guy I see is Steve Eiserman with his eyes the size of dinner plates. Looking at me going, what the fuck was that? And me, never short for any words, is like, well, I, I don't know any good. And Stevie, in his true form, says, well, thank God you don't got to do it again. So <laughs> that was, uh, that, and that just, you know, when I tell everybody, that just is always, uh, Stevie's always about, you know, keeping me in my place. Then and the, it was then always it's... good, and I, I didn't care right then. <laughs> well, the next year, you know, you go back to back with the Cups. And, uh, you know, you're beating the Washington Capitals in another strong year, but also it was in a very emotional year for your team, you know, with the accident with uh, Konstantinov. Um, you know, you, your squad went on to with the believe, you know, what was the feeling in the room with all this happening? You know, it's a lot of emotion to start with, but then to have a teammate injured during the season, you know, I just want to know, you know, what was going on, you know, in that room that day. Well, you know, it really wasn't, you know, that's why 97, 98 sort of, you know, uh, are one, you know, one big, one big one because, you know, three days after winning the cup and then the accident happens and, you know, uh, Slav is hurt, uh, Natsikanov or Masseuse is hurt and Vladdy's, you know, pretty much under 10% going to live and reality sort of strikes in and I think not just for the players but just for everybody as a fan who's emotionally connected to go from the highest to highs to the lowest to the lowest so the fact that Tisov came back the fact that we were just on a mission from the whole year it just you know the fact Sergey was out until February so when he came back he was fresh and he carried us definitely through that Washington series but I'll tell you you know you never you're never, I'm always one of these guys that, you know, it's not over till it's over. I always run it out, you know, like the last second, whatever else. But the only one time that the, that you knew it was over was when you see in the third period of game four, 
and they show Constantine up in the stands, and we're on the bench, and we look at each other and go, that's the worst thing we could do. I think it was 4-2 at the time. It was 6-2 right after that, but that was that was like right then, and, and it was one of those feelings that after we were excited, but it was like we were exhausted. Because I remember that flight home, it was, you know, celebrating, but it was, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't ruckus. It wasn't like the year before. It wasn't like an 02 or 08. It was more like we did something together that's, that's bigger than all of us. You know, that was something that was emotional to see. Like, I can vividly remember watching that on television. I seem to always watch the cup with yeah. You know, when I saw you guys bring Konstantinov on the ice, that is imprinted in my mind, and that stems from the leadership core that you had in that room. And it was obviously a tragic accident, and you're the big part of your team, obviously. And it's so sad that it happened, and the way you guys brought him on the ice and that belief part and everything, you guys came together. And literally, the roster that you guys had together is honestly one of my favorite of all time because of your guys' presence on the ice and literally what you guys were as a team. You guys were family. And you guys said this earlier, you said this earlier in the show, was that it's a brotherhood, your team, right? That, that is exactly what it is. They're guys you're grinding 82 games with. You're grinding maybe 20-plus games in the playoffs with, despite if you sweep every team on the way or not, which you guys did do pretty good at sweeping some teams along the way, including the Flyers in 97. But with the 98 Finals, I think that might have been more of an emotional win for the team than maybe 97 was, even though that was the first cup in 42 years for the organization. It was just, it was different. You know, it was, it, it was, it was such more. And I think too, because it was all of it, like the second one, but it we got the first one out of the way. So the pressure we sort of understood you know, the ups and downs, you know, when they, when they, when people talk about what experience does for like playoff experience and other things, what you draw on is just those, those times where you've, you know, been, why, where you've been nervous or you've been in a situation you haven't been in before. So, you know, we, we, we went through, that's why I'm a firm believer in and it's unfortunate, but it's, you learn to win from losing. You learn to succeed from not succeeding. You learn how to pick yourself up. And you know what? It's then you then you figure out, okay, if I do certain things, then this certain things happen that good and bad. So then it, it comes to you realize that it's your captain's and, and you said that in our dressing room, there could have been 12 caps, you know, that didn't really go, you know, that sort of way. Everybody sort of led in their different way, but then you need somebody at the top to push the buttons. And unless you are the greatest of all time, it's a hard thing to do, especially with all the talent. But that's what makes Scotty Bowman great. But it also, too, is because he knows the formula to win a Stanley Cup. And but you have to have the guys to buy into it, and we did. Guys, more than did certainly as a team. Now, hey Dave, pump the brakes for a second, buddy. It's my turn now. I'm former first rounder Rob Shrimp, and I got a message for your listeners. Head on over to 44visionhockey.com and check out our online coaching platform. Back to you, Dave. Enjoy the show. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me butt in there for a second, Dave. Let's make sure the followers are following at Living Sisu and to make sure they're checking out the deals at livingsisu.com for all of their high-end products today. Now, I'll let you get back to the show, Dave. Sorry about that. Dane, sliding over to you about 2002. Yeah, we go into uh, 2002 Western Conference Finals against the Colorado Avalanche, your biggest rivals in my opinion. And I think uh, since I've been born, probably the greatest rivalry I've seen in hockey um, to date. Uh, I just want to talk about your uh, game one hat trick um, against uh, Patty Waugh. I'm pretty sure he probably still sees you uh, in his dreams that night. Uh, <laughs> you know, big slap shots coming down the right side there. Um, yeah, sniffing top cheese. Uh, just want to ask you how important it was for you guys to kind of set the tone in game one against uh, the defending Stanley Cup champions and the Colorado Avalanche and kind of what it meant for that series to kind of, you know, start off hot against that team. Well, Dane, first, let me just say that your intelligence level is just beyond because you nailed it as far as the greatest rivalry in hockey from 90 since, you know, you look at, let me start with this. Here's a caveat. When you're having a bad day out there, feel free to use what Darren McCarty uses as it could be, it could be worse because I always think it could be because I could be Patrick Waugh. And that'd be worse, not because I scored that hat trick on him, and I'll get to that, but because, you know what, he got, we, what, 10 to 1 or 11 to 1 when he was in Montreal, and he and he decided he wanted to get traded, and, you know, the blessing in disguise, something, sometimes that was the, the worst thing for us to get traded to Colorado, but the greatest thing for us, because it made that rivalry great, but um, do you remember, he also got his butt kicked by a 50-year-old midget cowboy goalie and Mike Vernon and the next year tried to come back and fight 12-year-old Chris Osgood who might have like a 5-8 and eight record against his 6-year-old sister at Christmas, never been in a fight in his life got his butt kicked by Chris, Chris Osgood so, and then uh, game 7 and 0-2 um, 7-0 I believe it was and then retired, so again I, I have to think, I do that for myself, you guys are just if, if you guys want to use it, but going back to game one, you know, it, it was, they made us who we, we were, we made them who they were. We mirrored each other as far as lineups, as far as talent, as far as how we were put together. It was, it was too heavyweight fight every time. And you know what? You might've hated their, some of their guys, but you respected them because they were good. And you know, like, what can I say? I mean, they scored like the hat trick and the way I did. Um, by the way, that second goal down the wing, short side, short side clapper. Oh, my favorite of all time. Oh, that my favorite of all time. Dude, because that was my shot going off the ice every practice. Right. Oh, yeah. always, boom. That was the one. And then I could leave. Um, but the best part about that, too, and it always comes back to Malt. Because Kirk Malby is the greatest decoy. Drive the net, Maltz, get the puck out of the net. Because I'm the shooter on the line. We all know that. And I ain't passing. I'm putting it in the back <laughs> of the net. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I uh, the, the, uh, let me tell you the caveat. So that was, that was on uh, May 18th, 2002. And why is that significant? Well, my son, Griffin, whose birthday, or was born May 20th in 96, right, was, his sixth birthday was that Monday. Okay, so we're in the basement before game one, Friday night, playing mini sticks, whatever. And I'm like, hey, bud, uh, birthday's Monday. What do you want for your birthday? 
And he looks at me, he goes, score me a goal, dad. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Does this kid not know? Like, I got seven goals all year. I'm part of the grind line. <laughs> oh, I got, I got to go with the old man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about the name on the back. It's about the jersey on the front, bud. How about I go to like Ozzy and Shanny and and Drapes and say it's your birthday Monday. Why don't we get you a win? And he looks at me. He goes, Stevie would have said yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's so fitting. Needless with, to yeah. say, oh, guys. <laughs> Needless to say, I went out and got that hat trick. When I came off the ice from the star, my son's standing right there in the aisle, and I come up to him, I give him a hug, and I said, sorry, dude, I didn't get you one. I got you three. I hope you're not mad. And he goes, no, Dad, that's awesome. And I go, yeah, Stevie would only got you one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever. And then I said, don't ever ask me to do that ever, ever again. It's so fitting with uh, with, uh, Gary Thorne's, uh, you know, timeless call with the do you believe it when you scored so it's it's kind of fitting with with <laughs> how your son asked you to get and then you get a hat trick so it's like do you believe it kind of thing so yeah it's part, like, very timeless that's part of the gary thorne thing is that every time to this day when we run into him and, and ozzy makes him do the call every time oh, yeah. ozzy's like gary do the call gary do the call <laughs> Dude, I have a question about Oz. About, well, a couple, almost like a two-parter. First off, what the O2 yes. Sandwich Cup win? Yes, Hall of Famer. I don't know why. Somebody's going to get their ass beat unless he's in soon. Uh, <laughs> is that what you were? No, that's, that's you know what? Honestly, oh, I was, I was going to say that the big thing with O2, oh, obviously you have a team full of literally all, all Hall of Famers, as you said. Brett Hall, Luke Robitaille, Chris Collier. <laughs> Dominic Hasek, oh, the Wiseman, Shanahan, oh. Lidstrom, Mariano. Darren <laughs> McCarty. The list goes on, right? The, that list goes on. So it, that, my first part of the question is, is that the best team out of your four cup wins? Sorry, that's – and secondly, uh, overall with the, that O2 team, okay, in that grind line, okay, did you think that O2 – was probably the most exciting year of your career overall because of just just with the team that you had together that year. You know what? It's one of those things um, with great opportunity come great expectations. So the fact that to have the Hall of Fame team, to be able to win, to be able to give Dominic Hasek and Luke Robitaille their coveted championships, you know, to do with how to, to, to be a part of that team. Scotty's last championship as coach. That was like the, that was like the anniversary prize. If I would put any team uh, that 97 team, just because of the hunger and, and, and coming out of the battles fresh, you know, we, we sort of, you know, after winning 97, 98 and playing so many playoff games and, and stuff and losing in the next few years, it was one of those things that we had to prove it. It was prove it to ourselves. It was like it was more like 98 than you think in a way that you're expected because you have all these guys. But then are you too old or whatever else? So, you know, just the fact to be able to do it again with the core group of guys, that's the big thing. You know, to be able to do it six years later, but, you know, for the core group of guys to have three championships, pretty cool. You know what, honestly, 
you mentioned Osgood, okay, and I know, uh, uh, Brooksy, before we jump on your point, I want to mention something about Osgood that I read before I forget. You said he had the best pranks. That was in a previous article. This article the best prank. Uh, Fucking jag off. <laughs> who, uh, Listen, it was either, if shit was popped off, it was either, it was A or A, 1A. And the two chuckleheads were Maltby and, and Osgood. And Osgood was the, see, Osgood was the physical prankster. Like, you know, for example, he used to like to sew my car keys into my pockets, <laughs> or my, my pants or my shorts, like once a month. And that's cool when it's nice out. You know, because you got to take your pants off, rip your pocket out, or do whatever. Ha ha. All fun and games till it's minus 20 in your commando and you're standing out in the parking lot to a locked door. Yeah, that's fun standing out there ripping your suit pocket, you know, your dress coat pocket out and him getting a chuckle. Maltz was, Maltz sat beside me. So he was a cerebral assassin. And when you have OCD and stuff like that, I was into crosswords and Sudoku. So, you know, I'd always do it, and he'd throw a word in or a letter or a number, and it'd really screw me up, you know, for, for days, <laughs> and he would never let me know, you know, like like stuff like that. But um, just a lot of fun, you know, a lot of fun stuff that all, all these guys messing around. But, I mean, we all grew up together. You know, we all grew up together. We all watched each other's, you know, get married and have kids and families. And now, now you look at, you know, one of the coolest things that one of the coolest things and I'll admit this is that one of the things that I am jealous of Chris Draper for is that Chris Draper and his son Keenan Draper both put themselves in a position that father could draft son. And 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 like I said, listen, the Red Wings haven't won a Stanley Cup without a Draper in the lineup since nineteen fifty five. The McCarty kid had concussions. He'll probably be working for the league. He just graduated from UCLA, so he's got his whole life going on out there. And, and my son, Griffin. So uh, maybe Keenan will be there, but I think that is the coolest thing to not only – Drapes has worked hard to be the director of uh, amateur scouting, and, and his son, Keenan, I know he loves the game. And I mean, he it's crazy – like I tell everybody, your love of the game is no different than mine um, in a different way. And in fact, most people's probably is more than mine is at this point now in my life. Brooksy. Yeah, well, just jumping forward, you know, especially after you're talking about how close you you guys became as friends and played together for so long. Uh, you know, you spend a little bit more time in Detroit. And then after the lock, lockout, you join the Flames. And I'm just curious what that was like to don another jersey after all that time with the Red Wings. Yeah, it was weird, man. It was weird. It wasn't so weird playing in Calgary because that was the best spot for me. I love that. I love the city. I love Daryl Sutter. I love Jerome McGinley, um, Rhett Warner, Robin Regeer, Mika Kippersoff, Chris Simon. Mika Kippersoff is one of my favorite human beings. He is the funniest. Can't speak a lick, but he's um but but good good guys and and in that opportunity and and you know that was just one of those things is is change was happening here and i was making too much money when the lockout came around so i enjoyed that opportunity it didn't work out you know i got hurt again and 
fell back into my addiction after my second year, but was able to, like I said, come come back and get myself together. And and uh, I knew I had something left, and I knew this was my guys. And you know, when I came back to Detroit and like end of November, December, I who do I go to? I sit down with Chris Draper and and just because uh, he he's the work he's like my big brother always has been always looked out for me always great with advice and he's always connected like if i work out i'll get sick doesn't work out he'll get sick like you get that right (laughs) so i needed to work out and get and he's the best person so he hooked me up and then i was able to work everything out start in the ihl and i didn't want i was not promised anything didn't want anything promised but just wanted the opportunity Got the love of the game back. Got an opportunity in Grand Rapids. My first game there, I got a hat trick and was able to prove to Mike Babcock that he might need me as uh, support. And it just so happened that Johan Franz got hurt in the first round, so I played. And Holmstrom got hurt in the second round, so I ended up playing 17 of the 22 playoff games. I ended up scoring a goal and I had an assist, but uh, got my name on the cup for the fourth time with uh, – Malpy, Draper, Lidstrom, and Holmstrom. So that's such a great accomplishment. Oh, you know what? That is amazing. You kind of jumped right into what I was going to transition to as we got a couple topics before we sign off the show. And, and that was a your story was your return to the Red Wings. You jumped into a, a big amount there. And you gave a lot of kudos to Chris Draper for the last few minutes there. And it, basically, is it fair to say that he is a big part of your support system battling through everything that you went through? Is he... Obviously, you had friends, you have kids, et cetera, to go through. But Chris Draper, is it fair to say he's the biggest part of your support system as well? Yeah, you know what? There's and, and it's not just him. You know, uh, the the whole wings, the the alumni. But as far as like, um, yeah, like as far as comp, like I said, he's like a bro- we're we're like brothers. So I, I'd say him and Maltz and Ozzy also too. Is uh, it, it's it's funny because it it's always sort of been that way but but yeah and then uh, along with uh you know you know it's one of these things that everybody has life and stuff but it's all what we've done better as we've got older is stay connected even more so we got a pretty sick thread (laughs) on here so guys don't uh guys don't get to fall too far off anymore dane over to you about his first goal Back with the Red Wings, April 12, 2008. Yeah, like, I mean, that must have been a, a, a big moment for you. Um, you know, being in Detroit and uh, doing your two years in Calgary and coming back, just kind of speaking about uh, kind of how that felt to kind of, you know, revive your career a little bit and uh, kind of capping it off with uh, another cup with the, uh, with the Red Wings. And uh, I would say a little bit more of a competitive uh, Stanley Cup final than your, uh, your, your, your first three previous to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That that yeah, exactly. Uh and and you know, it it's one of those things is that to to win in oh eight and to lose oh nine in Pittsburgh and you could see how good, you know, they were built with the Crosby and Malkin dynasty, you know, start sort of beginning and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, you know, for me personally, you mentioned scoring a goal, you know, first round against Nashville. Bro, middle lane drive, stick on the ice, picking up the garbage. You know, how many times you got to do that? You got to, you know, that, that, 
that's the whole thing. That's the last one I scored. I'll remember that one. But, you know, the whole thing is just, hey, it's it's about being a cog in the wheel, right? It's just being a cog in the wheel. And I'm happy to be uh, a cog in the, in the wing wheel. And it goes back to the beginning. What Brooksy said is just to embrace, to have the self-awareness and to embrace your role. And it's a lot, to, to the point to that, it's a lot easier when what's expected of you is told to you too, because I know that a lot of some coaches don't do that. So that's where direction and what's accepted was always, we knew what your responsibility was, right? I was always going to get the puck out along my wall. million percent. And because I did that, I was on the ice for the last face, for the last face up in the buzzer in 97. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Would you be able to talk about just a little bit about Zetterberg and Dadsu kind of transitioning into uh, a bit of the, the leadership role in, in Detroit after, you know, the Eiserman, Shanahan days, obviously Lindstrom was still there, but uh, those two kind of came out of nowhere, you know, being late round picks and, I mean, obviously uh, Hall of Famers, uh, future Hall of Famers. The Euro Twins, boys, they are, you know what, the greatest thing, two of the, two of the nicest genuine human beings uh pavel will get you with uh no understand english and he's a he's a absolute i wish i could speak fluent russian because he is so funny in the way that he is and he's one of those guys that you got to get to know um a little bit more and it you know language barrier but absolutely love him and then put it this way I uh, I had a bulldog that I rescued that I had for five years that I named him Hank in honor of Henrik Zetterberg. That's how highly I think of Henrik Zetterberg as a human being. So the fact that, uh, you know, that it was, hand, you know, we've been lucky. We've been lucky and it's, it's important when you talk culture because those guys did a heck of a job continuing the culture that, you know, Stevie started, Scotty started, even through some tumultuous times, um, you know, with Babcock and not everybody side eye with him. So to be able to have Stevie back and, you know, moving into this new era with Dylan Larkin and Anthony Manta and Ronick and Bertuzzi, uh, we're in good shape, a lot better shape than you Leafs. (laughs) (laughs) Another job. I like that. I like that. Now, you know what? I was, the the, the 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 your facial expression when you won that cup was just amazing though but one thing i was going to jump into a bit more was that but you know what i'm going to tease the listeners we're going to do that on another edition that we'll do another time together okay because i had other questions there i wanted to you go want to- me to, i'll leave i'll leave you with this on that subject so yeah. people can understand okay and here's the difference between scotty bowman coach team and mike babcock coach team Scotty Bowman was always Detroit Red Wings head coach. Scotty Bowman was always Mike Babcock head coach. Detroit Red Wings, Toronto Maple Leafs, whatever. Right. The bottom line, the one thing is Scotty would would might berate you as a player a hundred percent, but never as a person. And anything Scotty decided, you might have hated, but you knew it was to win the cup. It was for betterment of the team. And I don't think that 
100% of the time you can say that about Mike Babcock. My personal opinion, but enjoy my truth. Until like next time, you can get in a little <laughs> bit more. Perfect. Now, you know what we'll do? This is this is our wrap-up portion, Darren, and this is a fun part for us because we're going to ask you a question that's going to be out of the blue, and you just got to give a brief little answer with it. It's just random funny questions we like to call it. Call it we call it the bonus questions from the hosts. All right? so I I'll love talk. it. I love bring it, boys. My question to you would be, what teammate was easy to get under the skin of for fun that you played with? Martin LaPointe, the Bulldog. Love that. Oh, him, him, and and you can mess around to the one point, but the other one would be Homer. Homer's the blunt, like, everything is like, you turn and Homer say something, you go, Nick, can you translate? Because it was always, Homer was the chauffeur for Lidstrom, you know, Nick would get in the back of the car a lot of times, make Homer drive just to make the boys laugh. But Homer was uh, Homer was the brunt because he'd get mad and and his English, I bust his chops that his his English is better than I than I bust his chops for. But when he gets mad, he goes swinglish, which nobody understands. <laughs> Dana, your question. That was a good answer. <laughs> All right, between your uh, the two Russian superstars you played uh, played with, uh, who do you think is more skilled, Sergey Fedorov or Pavel Dotsuk? Ooh, <laughs> nice. Different players, different <laughs> players. See, listen, Sergey Fedorov is the '67 Shelby Mustang. Oh, he is the. Like the speed, the finesse, the top end, the Pavel Datsuk is all, he's like the F-150 or F, what's the biggest Ram, like everything under the hood, right? More durable, more like a Land Rover, more like a Hummer, but not, it's just the solid. Because Pavel's a thief, he'll pick your pocket in a second. He, dude, I used to get sent off the ice in practice. I just tackle him because he'd play keep away, and then you know that's the only way you could get him. But they were different <laughs> players. Better off so fast, so like firing, and then Datsuk, he could just like he could do things. The magic man. You know, it's I. It's tough to compare because they weren't similar. Like you'd like similarity, I would put Bure and Fedorov more alike. You know, where where Datsuk, he's just he's so good, dude. Because have you ever seen a guy walk? No. Neanderthal, bro. And to be able to skate and to be, did you see that? He made that move on Marty Turco and on a breakaway reverse toe drag shelfer. That I tried to do, me, bunch of us tried to do in practice. That slow speed almost broke my ankle. Get out of here! Like, you know, it's I, I, that moves wild. To Turco is a you know a friend of ours too, and friends of Brooksy's too. And I know he's he listens to shows at times. So I imagine he, he'll love getting reminded of that too. I love that. Brooksy, uh, Mar- Marty's a, Marty's a Wolverine. Great guy. Yeah, he is. Hey, well, before I go to my question, I just want to say, like, I was fortunate enough. I played on a line with Datsuk in an exhibition game, and he said to me on the bench, he's like, just pretty much in his broken English, just, he goes, skate. 
and pretty much like just skate and get open. And I remember I went full tilt down the wing and I cut across the blue right at the far blue line. And before I turned my head, he had put that puck right on my tape with like a sauce pass right over two guys right on my tape in full stride. And that was where I realized, you know, how good this guy is right there. Like he didn't say much to me. He just like skate. I'll find you. I'm that good. I'm going to find you. Yeah. It's, it's so dude, it's, I don't appreciate it. So, you know, when you're in the middle of it and stuff like this, you don't appreciate it. That's why I tried to absorb as much as I could coming back. I played with Pav when we won in 02, so I knew him a bit. But to be around those the, those kids, the Euro Twins, and to see how much that – because those two would play, like, pass with each other for 20 minutes before practice and then keep, play keep away after practice till till like, the Drapes and I and whatever would go in and I'd start tackling guys and, you know, it was over with. But that's why they were so good. They, it, you just watch them – like pass the puck back and forth and you know how guys would skate around before practice starts and whatever well they're throwing like you're talking about brooksy those passes through guys skates you know to each other just like they're playing long toss (laughs) so my question to you is you know i'm gonna go you know a little bit way back here and um I'm curious to know, you know, who has had like the biggest influence on your, you know, hockey career on shaping who you were as a type of player you became. I know you touched on it a little bit. I'm sure that's might be who it is. But I always want to ask to find out who was your biggest influence on shaping who you are as a hockey player. Yeah, you know, it started with, you know, the the guys you know, the, the first one was, was uh, my Bantam coach, and my, his name was Mike Clem, up to Brian Drum. But, you know, ultimately, Scotty Bowman. Ultimately, Scotty Bowman gave me my opportunity in this league. Scotty Bowman, you know, won three cups with them. Um, you know, a lot of things, like I said, life lessons that you don't realize is is that he taught you even like growing up and stuff and it's just even more so you know the intricacies of the game and stuff and uh, you know he's one of the if not the smartest guy to be around the game so you know it, and and the thing that you learn from Scotty and he says it you take care of the little things they're the most important the the little 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 things so um you know like i mentioned my my pride and joy was that puck comes up my wall, do or die, I'm getting it out. And, you know, back when I played, you could you could bum rush the defenseman. You could take him out, you know, to different games. So, you know, that's uh, – but I definitely say Scotty Bowman. Scotty, Scotty Bowman and then even Kenny Holland. Because Kenny Holland, who we call Uncle Kenny, there's uh, – he's always had that relationship, even away from, from the rink. Um, so – but – but if you ask Dandano, Lapointe, Drapes, Ozzy, Maltz, same for all of us. We're like we're like his like nephews. Love that. That's a great answer, and not surprising. You know, it seems to get a lot of individuals who are powerful figures in your life, which is great. That shows who you are as a person as well, being like 
being having that support that shows how positive and good of a person you are as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, you know, like I know you chirp about the leaves a little bit, but I'll let <laughs> I guess you know I'll let that slide. I'll just say that I used to pick you in my fantasy drafts, you know, in NHL 02 and all that kind of stuff. But I, and I picked you on Toronto. You look pretty good in the Leaf jersey, I must say. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, they didn't want to. They didn't want to win bad enough, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Darren, you know, uh, we're going to get to our conclusion here. I want to say uh, I'll go around the horn. I know we got a good crew of us on, so I'll go to Dane first and say his goodbyes, Brooksy, then I'll uh, sign off the show. Yeah, Darren, I uh, appreciate you coming on. Great interview. Um, loved all the uh, discussion that we had, and uh, yeah, look forward to hopefully having you back on the show in the, in the future, and uh, yeah, take care. All right, Dane, you bet, and uh, now I know who the smartest guy in the room is. <laughs> hey we always need one you need one you just need one and he's on our side <laughs> Brooksy. But, uh, yeah well i just want to thank you you know it's nice to get a chance to get to know more about you and uh, i'm a big golfer myself so hopefully in the future we can get a golf game in i'll get on that show with you and uh, look forward to chatting with you more my friend yeah you bet i uh enjoyed it too and uh you know like I said, it, it'll be interesting to see what this uh, new hockey year offers, uh, whether the borders open up, and we'll be around, guys. Look forward to talking to you soon. Definitely. Now, Darren, now we save the best for last, I think, to say thanks. You know, you know it was definitely great. Your dealing with your crew, especially with Nick, was very easy. Uh, it was awesome to get in touch with you. I actually didn't cable guy you this time on Instagram or anything i went to the proper channel to get you on the show and like as dane said and as uh, even Brooks said you know very great to have you on and look forward to doing some stuff in the future and all the legends that you were played with and all the memories you provided me as a fan of the game i have that to thank you for too well dave i appreciate that obviously uh somebody didn't somebody didn't drop you properly on your head when you're a kid and you know what just remember, as every year goes by, that the Leafs don't win. Um, the Lions are closer to winning, but, but it's okay. <laughs> tired and uh, that's These are the, by far the best chirps I've heard about the Leafs. No one's ever said any of these. Leafs are not original. I appreciate that. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. Please, dude. I, I got... I got trained by the best. I wasn't even, I didn't even go deep or whatever. You oh, don't yeah. even know. I mean, it's too easy. It's, Bro, it's too easy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just too easy. But I look forward to talking to you guys again. That was a blast. Awesome. It was for sure. Now, again, thank you to Darren. Thank you to Brooksy. Thank you to Dane. Everyone, it's been great. I want to say thank you to the listeners. Make sure you hit like, follow, and subscribe on all the platforms of the game, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, Facebook, Instagram. And, of course, our website, you can make that your desktop on your homepage. So make sure you do that to keep that. you got to make sure you keep in touch with the Game Sports Show. Now, I want to make sure to remind listeners to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.